It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM, our weekly opportunity to sit down with award-winning journalists from all over the East End to do a deep dive into the week's headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27East.com, and Express Magazine. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. A panel of regulars this week. We have Denise Civiletti, uh, who is the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Hey, how you doing? Thanks, as always, for joining us. And also Beth Young, who's the editor of the East End Beacon. Good morning, Beth. Hello. Good to have you. And Chrissy Sampson, uh, who is deputy managing editor at the East Hampton Star. Hey, Chrissy. Hello. Happy to have you here. So, Chrissy, we're going to start with you. That We actually have some news that's still going to be fairly uh, breaking news on Saturday. Uh, there was a big hearing on Thursday night uh, regarding the project in Sag Harbor that's created a lot of buzz, and that is the proposal for the school district to team up with Southampton Town and the CPF to buy a property on Marsden Street, which is right across from Pearson Junior Senior High School, uh, with plans to make an athletic field there. That plan has been kind of, it's kind of had a bumpy road along the way. Uh, fairly big development now uh, after Thursday night's meeting, right? Yeah, so I wouldn't quite call it a hearing. It was more like a preliminary um, reveal of an idea that Jay Schneiderman um, sent to, so backtracking a little bit, the Sag Harbor School Board met on Monday night and it was kind of status quo. And then after the meeting, um, they get an email from Jay Schneiderman, Southampton Town Supervisor, pitching this new approach to the plan. So, um, you know, the town would, instead of focusing on Marsden Street, um, that where, where four lots would be in question for $6 million in CPF money, um, the, the idea would be to buy development rights at Mashashamuit Park with the the proceeds of which would then be used to renovate the park um and this and is in such an early stage that there's no dollar amount you know in the works yet there's no it was literally just unveiled last night as hey jay schneiderman had this idea so there's, there's, no, there's no doubt there's no dollar amount but the renovations that were discussed for for the park um last year were were up around Thirteen and a half million dollars. So you've got to Correct. figure that it's going to be close to that. And I, I guess I could, I guess they could do a 50-50 and the district could still come in with some money for for those renovations. But you're thinking it's got to be close to that, I would think. To me, this is one of the purest forms of application of CPF money I can think of. Right. Because, you know, it, it would be. The, the development rights from Ashashamuit Park, which I don't think would have been, you know, I don't think they would have ever really developed, attempted to develop the park, right? It's such a community resource. And, you know, Margaret Olivia Slocum Sage had left that to the community for such purpose, right? But I guess the development rights are still technically on the table if that, you know, if I'm understanding it correctly, right? So to use community preservation fund money from transfer, you know, real estate transfers to then, you know, do this project where then the taxpayers of Sag Harbor School District would not then have to foot the bill for a 13 and a half million or whatever bond. So it saves the taxpayers money too. Yeah, I want to clarify, we've, we've got three different entities involved here. You've got the school district, you've got Southampton Town, and you've got the Mishashamuit Park Board. And mm -hmm. the school district uses the park for some of its sports teams, right? That's what it Almost uses all of its sports teams. Facilities there uh, for its sports teams. It's about a mile away from Pearson High School. And the uh, original plan was for Southampton Town to use CPF money to help purchase these Marsden Street properties to create an athletic facility right across the street from Pearson. But that ran into a lot of contention from people in the community. So your point uh, the other thing about it was the idea of using CPF money uh, to help the school district with a project like this would have really set a new precedent. Uh, that's never been done before with CPF money. This is a little bit right. more of a traditional use, right? But it would mm -hmm. still be yeah. a field, right? I'm sorry. Well, no, they, 
there, that's not set in stone. So, okay. you know, back in 2016, there was this big turf or no turf. The It's a natural grass field behind Pearson um, that is in varying degrees of usability throughout the year. But, um, you know, they did not, they took, when the Marsden Street proposal was, you know, in full force at the time, the Sag Harbor School District, at the request of Southampton Town, took artificial turf off the table. Okay. So then because they started exploring a, a hybrid for, option. Um, that would have a community, right? They started exploring a hybrid option that would have been really expensive. Gotcha. Chrissy, I just wanted, I wanted to say. So this is a sort of a, a, a unique take on a new solution, and the town would still pursue buying development rights at Marsden Street for a passive park. Chrissy, the the uh, the artificial turf field was part of what stirred up a lot of the opposition, right? It's and yes. and it's Pearson uh, taxpayers have sort of been reticent to fund an artificial turf field, right? There with concerns about safety and and the, the costs of an artificial yeah. field, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Sorry, so, I disappeared there. <laughs> that's okay. I think this is an interesting idea, but I I don't know. I, I'm I'm not sure. Is is there going to be overwhelming support to spend? And, and we're guessing at the number thirteen million dollars of CPF money to preserve property that's already preserved. Right. Um, I, I mean, I understand that the, this you know this is kind of a a workaround on on the town's part to try to help the district get what it needs, but you know, is is that CPF money maybe better used for 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 another purpose? Um, as Chrissy said, I mean, the part, this this property is never going to be developed. It was deeded over as a as a, as a community park. Um, I, I I think some people might might have an an issue with that. Yeah, I mean, there were people um, upset about the uh, John Steinbeck uh, CPF uh, Development Rights Acquisition and saying like there's there's this big property that Bay Street Theater had in the middle of Sag Harbor that is right by the water and um, could be developed in a lot of different ways. I mean, I don't, I, I doubt it's on the CPF list because it's a developed parcel, but yeah, there's just a lot of see, other just, things Sag Harbor needs. Just to be clear too about the, the Marsden Street properties with, with this new proposal that Jay Schneiderman's putting forward. So tell us again, what would happen with the Marsden Street properties then when you say passive park, what would that become part of the school district's uh, campus as well, or how does that work? So that the school district has um, went out and said on the record last night at their special meeting that they do not feel a passive park is what they need. So they are not interested in Marsden Street as a passive park. So that is, you know, the the Southampton town has still has their public hearing open. It's to continue this Tuesday at one p.m. at Southampton Town Hall to uh and you know we're expecting this time a lot of the field supporters to show up but how this affects that remains to be seen you know because this is just a fledgling idea it's just a little spark that jay schneiderman is floating yeah. and you know it's been on on you know at first glance it's been well received by the district um the park board weighed in? the park board is uh has not yet weighed in but this only happened mm -hmm. last night right you know i, I we posted our story at like 8.30 p.m. You know, Jay Schneiderman was <laughs> emceeing the Bay Street benefit concert for the Turkey earthquake victims. And mm. uh, <laughs> we, we were trying to connect. But, um, you know, a lot remains to be seen. But this is, you know, a, a new direction that people seem to be hopeful about on the outset. Yeah. At the, at a, there, so there was a, a town board work session on on Thursday prior to the special meeting of the of of the school board and it seemed like there was um con confusion among some of the town board members who who felt that um who said during the meeting that they didn't realize that the marsden street purchase and i don't know how they wouldn't have realized this there was a lot of press on it but they didn't realize that that they were talking about sports fields for that purchase and and that they were under the impression that that this was going to be a kind of a passive park all along um so they had you know they they had, had were were going to try to 
um, put off, I guess, the, the hearing and the decision. But but because the public hearing was already noticed, they're going to have to go forward with that next week anyway, although the board said that they're certainly not going to take any action on the Marsden Street um, plan in, in the near future. It was also there was I mean, there have been questions all along about the the state environmental review of the property and uh, town officials said on on Thursday that um, that the district had declared it a, um, that, that, that there wouldn't need to be um, a detailed environmental review. Um, but that was challenged at the work session on Thursday as well. And so, so they're, they're they're going to need to do, do a, a, a they, the town officials believe that there should be a pause deck, um, that there would need to be a, a, a secret review that state environmental quality review act and that that could take up to eight months. So, so the whole Marsden property, um, thing is really, really stalled if they're going to go forward with that at all. Um, there, there's still a lot uh, that, that needs to come forward, and 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 town board members at, at the at the Thursday work session had had um, um, who had been criticized at Monday night's school board meeting for not taking mm-hmm. action on on the Marsden Street plan had said that um, you know the reason they haven't taken action is because the the school district hasn't supplied them with all the information that you know that they've been asking for 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 months now so it's it's really it's kind of um seems like a quagmire at this point there there will be a lot more coming out you know i'm understanding i'm I'm to have a conversation with supervisor schneiderman later today we'll reach out to the park board there will be lots more to to talk about before we you know hit hit next thursday with another edition of of the star and the press the story may evolve between now and then. You know, it, Almost the, certainly, the, yeah. This is a story that just keeps changing. And to be clear, Bill, Bill's correct. The, the, the school district has been pretty clear from the start that their plan for Marsden was to create an athletic field um, on that site, right? And and I'm curious whether the, the school district, the, the CPF involvement in that purchase is kind of necessary, right? Because the school district... Um, would have to go back to the voters and get a bond approved if they wanted to just buy the the Marston Street properties themselves, and that would be a fairly big uh, investment. Correct? Yeah, especially Am I correct considering it would be a fairly big investment. I mean, it's theoretical, but like, you know, the developer who owns those properties had worked with the town and the school district on a price that would have been exclusive to this arrangement. Because it would technically, wouldn't it be below market value at that point? You know, I'm not sure what, you know, what the appraisals said, but, you know, I think that um, that was part of the deal. Yeah. They need the CPF money to, to really yeah, make they it would, work. Yeah. Yeah, which would well, be I, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it depends on, on the public, depends on, on the, you know, on, on school district residents. If, you know, if, if, the CPF money is going to go toward Mash Park, which, you know, my my reservations about CPF money aside, seems like, you know, one one possible compromise and, and solution. But it would be a shame to lose those Marsden Street um, properties, you know, altogether, unless the town's going to come in with, you know, twenty million dollars in CPF money and do the development rights on the park and the Marsden Street properties, um, you know, as as, as a park. Um, it would be a shame to lose to lose those properties. And I've been saying that all along. And and maybe the first goal of the district should be, you know, to try to secure that property because, you know, as we said before, property adjacent to a school doesn't come along um often or or all the time. And this would be maybe the district's last chance to to, you know, to have adjacent property. If the town's going to come in and and buy it with CPF money um as as a um, as a park, not having anything to do with the school district, that doesn't meet that purpose. And that's what Jeff Nichols said at the school board meeting on on Thursday night that, you know, Correct, that, yeah. that, um, you know, that 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 doesn't address the facility needs of, of, of the district. And so the district wouldn't be interested in that. So um, what, what a turn. <laughs> I mean, it really yeah. is. Beth, Bill described it as a quagmire. This is almost sort of the perfect Sag Harbor quagmire, right? Um, (laughs) It's, it's, I mean, because, and I don't mean to make light of it, but it's, but it's, 
I, I mean, the the beginning of all of this, the roots of all this were that the coaches and players and school administrators really thought an artificial turf field was an important thing to have for some of the sports teams, the soccer teams, the field hockey teams who regularly play on artificial turf when yeah. they go to other school districts and never have the chance to practice nor having home games on that same kind of artificial turf. That was the, that was sort of the root of this whole idea. And now it's, it's evolved in like three or four times into the point where the artificial turf field isn't even really uh, part of the current conversation, though now uh, Jay Schneiderman's new proposal at least would, would make it possible that the school district might be able to create some kind of facility like that on site um, on the school district property. But this, this is, this is one of those classic Sag Harbor disagreements, right? Where, where you have two very, very entrenched uh, positions and maybe three in this case, fighting a triangular yeah. warrior. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, having, having their fields off site is a really unique thing to Sag Harbor. Um, 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 Pearson High School is on a hill, so having an athletic field, there's a, a rolling hill that goes up to the school, but you can't play any kind of um, uh, sports on it. Um, but I think... I think Without the, having uh, a real advantage to one one team or the other. <laughs> so, yeah, so sledding is good. Um, the sledding there is wonderful. Um, but uh, I, I think this... It, the issue of uh, inadequate athletic facilities is really kind of like a rural suburban thing that plays out a lot on the East End because a lot of the districts out here don't have what big districts up the island have. And they go and they play against teams who are further up the island. And I know Mattituck for a very long time, their track their track team was really wonderful, but their facilities here were really um considered very subpar among the track community the you know the the material the track was made out of was um very outdated and um and they eventually um did update it but it took years and years and years of arguing and mm. um i know down in new suffolk the the little league often doesn't play on the field down here because um uh everyone wants to play at the better fields which are further up the island which are actually only like 10 miles up the road, but, um, but it's, you know, it is part of the suburbanization, suburbanization of the East end that we are having more, um, we are having more acceptance of, um, artificial turf and other types of surfaces mm -hmm. for, for athletics. So yeah. there, there the are, I do believe there is at least one artificial turf field in Southampton town already, right. In, in like quag or something like that. I'm not, that sure. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Somebody, somebody the along band. the way, what? Stunk the band. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember who said it, but I think that somebody did say that there is at least one already artificial turf field in within Southampton town somewhere, which is humongous. So, hmm. Really interesting. Quite so, Chris, you put, yeah. a, put a bow on this for now, at least this weekend, as we look for what's next. There, there's, there, you know, we this idea has been floated now what's what's going to happen next what are, what are we looking at as the next step in this conversation i think it'll be for the community a bit of a waiting game while the parties the park the town and the school district sort out the details and you know a lot of cpf talks happen off the record right in executive sessions sure. based on you know contracts and negotiations but since there isn't like a real estate purchase on the table here for the park right? A typical real estate purchase. Does that rule still apply? You know what I mean? So I think a lot of it, it remains to be seen. We'll trickle out answers as we get them, which will not be quickly <laughs> forthcoming as that's, my guess. That's a, I'm, I'm that's curious. I'm, there's, I'm, there's no, there's no real estate acquisition involved here that, so it wouldn't, it shouldn't really be something they can talk about buying closed doors. Interesting. Sorry, well, the, the development yeah. right purchase would be technically a real estate purchase, but Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm curious. I'm, I'm really curious to know what what the park board's take on all of this is, because wh while I see it as it's it's already protected property, removing the development rights from that property for thirteen million dollars or whatever the the number is decreases the value of that asset 
for the park board. Um, not, not that they're, I, I don't know that, I don't know if they could develop it if they wanted to, I don't know what, what the deeds are, are, are like on, on, on all of that. Um, but it's, it's, it's property. It's in Sag Harbor. It has a certain value. If, if the, if a hundred years from now, the, the park board wanted to sell that property without, with the development rights removed. Um, it, it certainly wouldn't hold the same value, and and I I, I imagine that that that's got to be a consideration too. I mean, it might yeah, benefit because, the community, and that might be a, a, enough for them to do it. But I'm every sorry. CPF property is att- comes attached with a management plan, right? And I don't I'm not aware of any situations in which a management plan has later been altered significantly, right? Like that's one of the stipulations of the CPF program, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, let's be frank, there's lots of CPF money. And I think the town is looking for ways to use it creatively if it can solve problems and if it can create, uh, you know, th- this is the the, the Meshashamuit Park uh, has to get that money somehow. And it had been negotiating with the school district to to try and get some some of that money to to do the upgrades. And this is just sort of a creative way. Well, it doesn't, ha- it doesn't happen. Doesn't have to do the upgrades. I, I mean, it's the school district that wanted the upgrades and pushed for the upgrades, and so the That's park true. said, "Well, if you want the upgrades, then then come in and, and pay for the upgrades." The, the park could just say, "Use our facilities or don't." Um, yeah. You know, use our use our our broken down bathrooms and you know and 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 uh, and stands and and all that as as it is, and and maybe do you know, upgrades, smaller upgrades here and there. It's, you know, the park doesn't need the upgrades was was my point. It was the school district that wanted the upgrades for its athletic facilities. That's true. Fair point. And that's where the CPF came in. So we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, Chrissy, I'm sure you'll be writing about it, um, not just next week, but probably for months to come, if 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 not longer, uh, this is behind the behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Chrissy Sampson of the East Hampton Star. Uh, Denise, let's let's talk uh, politics. <coughs> there have been some movement right uh, lately and and it seems like women are more and more filling the spots on the the ballots at various levels in in the in the different towns and in in the the, the local municipalities yeah i know i mean um the both riverhead and um both the democrat and republican slates and riverhead are um dominated by women um there's one male on the democratic slate and two on the um, Republican slate, but the Republican slate also includes a few more people because the Democrats are not running um, people in every, for every office. So that's interesting. I mean, I, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago when having a woman on the slate was kind of a noteworthy and unusual thing, right? Um, we should mention that in Women's History Month, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, Good that, has, that has changed, um, you know. I, I, so I don't know. I think that's kind of nice to see. Uh, you know, I've, I've, we've had uh, two female town supervisors in a row here in Riverhead. Um, and, um, and they were the two that, first female supervisors in the town's history. They were the first two women in the, the first town's two, history. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And, good point. and we should point out that if I'm not mistaken, all five East End towns have female supervisor candidates on both parties uh, nominees not south it, yeah it's not south or not riverhead south. there's a uh, councilman tim hubbard is running on the dem- on the republican slate for uh, oh okay withdrawn but, uh, <laughs> but, but Joe, there are you know, female you candidates for supervisor and a lot female of female candidates for supervisor yeah. in east hampton and southampton towns yeah. Right. Yes. On the South Fork, so, all four, all four of those candidates are women, I guess. Yeah. So, that, you know, I get in some way that's kind of neat. I mean, you know, um, but um, so, yeah, I mean, the Democrats announced their slate. Angela DeVito, who ran for uh, town supervisor a decade ago in 2013, um, came up short by a little less than 800 votes back then against the, an incumbent who was running for reelection. Uh, she's um, she's at the top of the ticket again this year. And um, 
It's an interesting, it's an interesting slate. Um, it's got a lawyer uh, who's, I think, a relative newcomer to town. I haven't spoken to him myself directly yet, but um, he is a former federal prosecutor. Um, and um, he seems to be, a, you know, a pretty substantial candidate. And then there's um, a longtime resident who uh, has raised a family here and has been uh, a career educator. She's, uh, I think, the director of music, uh, the music department in uh, at South Hold High School, Renee uh, Suprina. Um, and um, her, you know, I, I know her family, her, her older son went to school with my kids and, you know, they're really nice people. She really knows the community. She's the director of the uh, community band in Riverhead, the uh, No Doubt World Famous Monday Night Band. Uh, started no uh, many months ago. Great band. Yeah. And um, it's a kind of a Riverhead classic. Um, it's a fun, it's a fun band. And they put on some fun concerts often on the um, lawn of the uh, Pulaski Street School in the summertime. Um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, it looks to be a pretty good slate and um, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's going to take a little while before things heat up, I think. And it's interesting to see how the incumbent supervisor in Riverhead is going to navigate these last months in office. Uh, she's had a somewhat, uh, I think it's fair to say, tumultuous uh, tenure with um, disputes between her and other members of the town board and a, a fair amount of criticism coming from the community um, about her demeanor and uh, treatment, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, she can certainly be very blunt. So it's going to be like kind of an interesting uh, dynamic, I think, at Riverhead Town Hall, if you're a political junkie like some of us. <laughs> uh, but it'll be uh, fun fun to watch so i'm, about, I'm interested to see what happens in south hole beth you were talking about that I, before i was uh, gonna say let's talk about the north fork uh beth south hold and greenport what's going on over there um well uh the south hole republicans um had their campaign kickoff last night but they did not announce a supervisor candidate so supposedly there's an announcement forthcoming um <laughs> Um, within a few days, we'll see. Um, the uh, the South Hole Democrats, uh, Al Krupski, uh, the Suffolk County legislator for the North Fork, is going to be running. He's a former town councilman and a farmer who's really uh, well liked in South Hole. Um, a lot of people don't want to run against him, which is probably why we haven't heard from the Republicans on their candidate yet. <laughs> um, so, um, so the South Hill Republicans, uh, they're re, um, they're, uh, Jill Darty, who's the deputy supervisor is running again and an attorney named Stephen Kiley from, um, from Mattituck. And, uh, the Democrats in South Hill last week announced, uh, Al Krupski's running mates will include, um, uh, Gwen Schroeder, who's a longtime, uh, environmental advocate on the North Fork. She's actually, uh, one of Mr. Krupski's legislative aides right now. Uh, she's been very involved with North Fork Audubon and the North Fork Environmental Council and um, protecting the environment on the North Fork. And uh, Ann Smith, who is the former uh, superintendent of the Mattituck Kutchug School District, uh, and she also was very involved in the um, the Mattituck Laurel Civic Association and the uh, Town Justice Task Force and uh, mental health initiatives for in high school, very similar to what you have on the South Fork. Uh, was it the South Fork Behavioral Health Initiative? <laughs> Get these acronyms right one of these days. <laughs> anyway, so um, so we're still, you know, we're still waiting to hear on the South Hold Republican supervisor candidate. But I think at this, at that probably rounds out, um, except for Shelter Island, that rounds out. The announcements from the parties, I believe, pretty much have the ballots in place. Chrissy, yeah. I, the the other the other race that's coming into focus now is the race for the Suffolk County Legislature seat um, from the South Fork and uh, East Hampton going to be represented uh, in that race. <laughs> Absolutely. So we have Manny Villar, who is the current chairman of the East Hampton Town Republican Committee. He stepped up. He ran unsuccessfully for supervisor a few years back in East Hampton. Um, and then he stepped into the party leadership role. Um, and we have Ann, Ann Welker, um, who is a Southampton town trustee managing those water, waterways and waterfront areas. Um, 
And so she and Manny Villar are going to face off for that South Fork legislator position. Bridget Fleming was not term limited, but she is choosing to, you know, pursue other opportunities, I think, in the private sector, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that that Manny Villar stepped up for that. Um, He is, is, uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, uh, he's a a Republican with some pretty strong views. And I have to wonder if the first district U.S. House race going to Republicans may have had some effect on his decision to run in that race just because you know, the district is is the, the first district in the county legislature. There's a little bit of overlap. Obviously, the, the U.S. House districts is, is a lot bigger. But um, it would seem like a Republican has a really tough road ahead to, to, to win that uh, county legislature seat, but maybe not, right? I mean, I, I think part, part of the point is that uh, this is a district that may be changing a little bit. Yeah, and what I find interesting... That's a really good point, Joe. And the other thing I find interesting is that Manny will probably have a, a, a work ahead of him getting his name out in Southampton Town, while Ann Welker will have a time getting her name out in East Hampton Town. Right. Although she has actually been friendly with some of the East Hampton Town trustees on some of their projects, like the balloon ban comes to mind and like shellfishing, shellfish farming and, you know, that sort of thing. And because... East Hampton is so overwhelmingly Democrat. Um, I feel like that the the advantage may go to Ann Welker there. Um, although you could argue that the the Republicans have a similar advantage in Southampton Town. So mm-hmm. that's going to be an interesting race, I think. And, and I'm actually uh, really excited about that race because I think that yeah. either way we get somebody who cares a lot and isn't necessarily like a career politician type. I think you know that's what I mean? fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. So, um, and uh, yeah, that'll be a race we're all going to be watching closely as well. A lot of, lot of this is going to be an interesting uh, political year. Um, yeah, come come uh, Jan- come January, it's it's just going to be new faces everywhere. I don't think there's an existing um, town supervisor um, on on the east end that that that's either either term limited. They're either term limited out or not seeking reelection. So you're going to have a new supervisor. Um, you know, in, in all five towns, um, it, it just uh, you can have a, a new county executive. Um, Steve Ballone is is term limited out. You've got this this race in, in the legislature that um, two two new faces, um, you know, running there. So it's it's going to be um, hopefully they the can second hold. district also. Correct. Yeah. Who's I, I, I w- I'm curious who's who's what's what's it look like in the second legislative district that's good it's kind of an interesting um race because it uh pits Catherine stark who is one of al krupski's other legislative aides against um and has and she's been a long time uh government uh you know county employee she worked for him she worked for um jay schneiderman when he was in the legislature she really knows the ropes she's a local riverhead person um and it pits her against uh, Catherine Kent, who was a Riverhead Town Councilwoman who ran for supervisor and kind of got walloped uh, in that race last year. Um, and, um, you know, Kent is a Democrat uh, expecting um, Mr. Krupski's endorsement. And Stark is a Republican. Uh, worked for him. Worked for him for you know yeah. the last decade or so, and uh, is also expecting his endorsement, and he, and he's not returning my calls about that. <laughs> my, I have a question. <laughs> my question is: Does does coming from a background as a legislative aide, like, do you have an advantage or a disadvantage in the public sphere? Because can you be yeah. seen as like a career? career politics bureaucrat pursuit, you know bureaucrat it, yeah. like does that Maybe. does that taint a reputation at all i think I it's more it like there's no name recognition if you yeah. haven't it was in the background no, there's no name yeah. rec- there's no name mm-hmm. recognition but i would think as they're out meeting and greeting voters and and attending you know 
uh, debates and meet the candidates, they certainly have a handle on the issues and and um, probably can speak well better to the issues maybe than somebody coming in from 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 the outside. I, I'll make I another point too is yeah. they may be the point of contact for a lot of the constituents, constituents yeah. who have dealt with them that that they actually may know those aides more than they know the actual legislators and the, and and the media too. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I feel like sometimes, depending on the person, I, I think that sometimes the aides are the people who really can be like kind of the movers and the shakers, sort sure. of in the background. I mean, you know, they serve a particular function in the office. And, um, you know, Catherine's function was like at the county center, whereas Gwen was in the office more, Gwen Schroeder. Um, Catherine, you know, was it, she knows her way around the county legislature and, Really, I don't think there would be much of a learning curve at all with her when it comes to knowing how to get things done there, knowing who to talk to, knowing who to speak to in county government. So I think there are, you know, definite advantages for someone like that. Uh, but again, you know, some people might look at that and say, well, there's a career, you know, government employee and, you know, that kind of like that deep state mentality. <laughs> But, That's um, a relatively new thing that, yeah. uh, but, you know, I mean, not in the same way, but, you know, someone who's just uh, like entrenched. But, yeah, um, and, and on the other side, you have, you know, Donald Trump, you know, so who, who came, who came <laughs> in with no, no political, my point well, is. Well, it's not necessarily his benefit. I, you know, I think we've yeah. seen that in local, you know, in local uh, halls of government as well. But it trickles you know, down. I, yeah. I just feel like, you know, I've. I don't know that it's that's personally me personally I would not certainly not hold that against Catherine Stark because I think you know it, it she brings something to the table because of it that someone else you know does does not necessarily um, so we shall see Catherine versus Catherine in the second. Uh, <laughs> We will have a Catherine in that seat. It's our only prediction at this point. <laughs> they, can make, they can make half the nameplate now. Yes. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Shaping up would be an interesting political season. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, it's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. The panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Chrissy Simpson of the uh, East Hampton Star. Uh, and uh, lost my train of thought. Um, I wanted to talk about the uh, women's health services uh, that are going in at Peconic Bay Medical Center. That's a Northwell Health facility in Riverhead. They're doing a lot over there right yeah. now, right, Denise? Uh, yeah, and, they and are. I mean, one yeah, of the big focuses is on women's health. It's been kind of an ongoing um, process, really. They brought, they've been building their um, gynecological staff um, and opening offices in various locations uh, in the region, like, you know, Manorville, Hampton Bays, Wading River, Greenport, uh, Matatuck, I think. And, and um, you know, they, they're now up to like seven or eight OBGYN physicians that are, you know, affiliated with the hospital, plus one person who's like an in-house staff doctor. They've re uh renovated and revamped their uh maternity department their maternity center uh had a little tour of that it's you know they it's really nice i mean for they have midwives time, there now too they have midwives yeah they have a couple yeah. of midwives they've got uh like i don't i forget the number but a bunch of um certified neonatal nurse practitioners um they are looking to um they can now um handle infants only to like down to 36 weeks gestation, but um, they're looking to get certified, whatever the right word is for, up to down to 32 weeks gestation. So a higher level of neonatal care. Um, and, you know, I mean, for since 1951, I actually I, have, I actually had uh, Diane uh, Wilhelm, the town clerk, look this up in the records. <laughs> the first birth at Central Suffolk Hospital at what? At that time was on uh, February 8th, 1951, which hmm. um, was shortly after the hospital opened its doors. Um, and until then, people from Riverhead were born in Greenport, in the Greenport, Eastern Long Island, or at home. Um, wow. And then they started, yeah, they started uh, having births there. But like over the years, um, a lot of the, um, the majority of births uh, moved over to Southampton Hospital. Um, yeah, that was a big. I had Southampton my Hospital. Yeah. 
it became it became a, a real yeah. center for maternity care, right? Yeah, and um, you know there were very few. I mean, my the, my doctor wouldn't pr- like gave up doing births in in uh, the hospital in Riverhead. He said he told me because he was required, and I, I should have asked. Like, I don't know if they changed this, but he was required by the hospital to handle um, births uh, by from women uh, who were in, incarcerated in the Riverhead jail. And he said that that like very often they had uh, subpar prenatal care, and he said it it wreaked havoc on his uh, health his his insurance premiums, his liability, mm-hmm. which I, who would ever think of that? But so he stopped do practicing uh, that there. So I don't know, but they've revamped it, they've changed it. It's I mean it's a beautiful facility, and now what they're doing, and they've got a lot more doctors. They were down to two doctors um, practicing there in that field. And now what they're doing, as you recall, they um, they recently closed down the skilled nursing facility and they are looking at repurposing that space to create what um, this the executive director of the hospital called a hospital within a hospital. That's going to be just dedicated to women's health with its own hmm. operating, dedicated operating rooms, patient rooms. Wow. And, uh, you know, yeah. Are they trying to create like a, I don't know what the right terminology is, like a regional specialty in 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 women's health um, to to kind of draw from from different different areas like Southampton had previously with, um, you know, with uh, with child with infant care. I mean, yeah, is that? I mean, or are they just serving you know the Riverhead area? Oh no, I mean, like I, I think you could tell by where they're locating their practices, they're looking to be regional. I mean, yeah. Northwell is looking to make Peconic Bay Medical Center the regional medical center for the East End. I mean, they've made no bones about that. That's you know not a secret, and so it's not you know it's 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 logical that they would be you know doing this and and in this field as well. I mean, so um, you know, Denise, this this dates back. I one of one of the great lost stories of my career was uh, within the last 10 years, um, I was working with a reporter uh, on a story about the the ongoing battle between the hospital in Southampton and the hospital in Riverhead mm-hmm. and the, how that fight went. And as an aside, it never came to pass because the reporter I was working with on the story went to work for Southampton Hospital <laughs> in the middle in the middle of the reporting. And so I felt it was Gosh. kind of all tainted, all tainted oh. and had to be discarded. But it's a shame because going back to Andy Mitchell, who was the uh, president and CEO for a long time, he had a very expansionist attitude about the hospital. His goal, well before the hospital became part of Northwell Health, was to make it a regional hospital. And he wanted to invest a lot of money in expanding that hospital's uh, facilities. And at the time, it was it caused some real friction with the other hospitals on the East End because it was pretty, pretty openly a battle. As much as he said it wasn't, uh, it was pretty clearly a battle for trying to it get abs- patients. Yeah, it but- absolutely was. It absolutely was. And I mean, I, I, you know, he, he, he had that vision of this regional medical center, hence the name, you know, I mean, he changed, it got changed from Central Suffolk Hospital to Peconic Bay Medical Center. And, you know, he started planting these other, you know, facilities like the, the imaging center in Manorville and the outpatient, you know, care over there. Um, like he, you know, he was absolutely a visionary and there was absolutely bad blood between him, <laughs> no matter how much they all, all three might deny it. Uh, and and the other two uh, hospital presidents, um, and uh, and also frankly, um, you know, with Senator Laval, because mm-hmm. you know Senator Laval's vision was for the hospitals on the East End to become part of the Stony Brook, you know, um, system. He wanted to create that system, and um, you know, Andy, to Andy was like, well, we're not just automatically going to do that. We're you know, they, they kind of went out to bid sort of with other hospitals um, and um, spoke to a number of them. And that really rankled our senator, uh, state senator. He, uh, you know, he really was pretty uh, upset with Andy um, and, the, and the hospital board when uh, they decided to affiliate with uh, Northwell. But, but it's really what, interesting that that his his vision 
was sort of picked up by Northwell, that that they see the same thing that yeah. Andy Mitchell well, saw, which is that there's an yeah. opportunity here to really Absolutely. create a regional facility. And I think that, um, well, I mean, you know, it seems pretty logical. North, this is kind of like Northwell's uh, kind of East End base, sort of. I mean, you know, yeah. they built a, a, um, a, I don't know if it's a tertiary level. I think it is hospital at, at um, Southside in Bayshore. Um, and, um, you know, they're they're building this up here. And I think that, you know, Northwell is going to be like a big part of the future of like land use and economic development in in the Riverhead area, um, as it has turned out to be in, in Bayshore. Um, one of the main motivating uh, I, that I know from, you know, interviewing Andy and speaking with him, like factors in the move was to be able to provide interventional cardiac care in Riverhead because mm -hmm. the trip to Stony Brook, no matter how you slice it, when someone's having a STEMI heart attack and they need to get that care very rapidly, um, they cannot get there within a window of time that allows for the, the kind of prompt treatment that you need to prevent damage, to, you know, significant damage to the heart muscle. And it's been um, huge. It's yeah. been huge. And that was a real driving force for Andy. And like Northwell came in from day one and said, we're doing this. And they like very quickly filed the application to the State Department of Health and got, you know, got that going. And they've saved a bunch of lives. They really have because it was, um, you know, it was just too far, like especially for, from Riverhead. It was like yeah, kind of reachable. But like you talk about, you know, out east. Uh, yeah. It's just really too far. And um, Stony Brook, uh, you know, Andy in, in talks with Stony Brook, who, you know, was negotiating with them. And originally they had committed to putting a cardiac cath lab in Riverhead and then they pulled that back. And that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back for the PBMC board at the time. Um, and, you know, they decided to look for other, you know, kind of sponsors, hospital health systems. As a so, as a case of full disclosure, we should point out you used to be. Uh, yeah, I was going right? to say, yeah. like, I, for a blip in time, for one year, <laughs> I went to where Andy offered me a job, and that's how I ended up leaving Times Review, and I went to work there, and um, you know, I, I think the hospital is a terrific place. I think Andy's a, a great guy, but it just wasn't for me. I really didn't enjoy that. that that job and i well we're happy to have you that's how happy we ended up back. starting this so you yeah know. we needed you back we needed you back doing this but uh just to just to put a point on it the the arms race will continue because of course stony brook southampton hospital yeah. is going to be building a 300 plus million dollar facility in shinnecock hills sometime in the next five to ten years uh once the money is raised uh, so that'll continue moving forward. And, I want to see and the, emergen and the emergency room in, in East Hampton. Don't, uh, absolutely, don't, that's, don't that's another that. big project. Yeah, important too. I want to well. I mean, uh, you I know, want to gears a little and talk to Chrissy about a completely different topic, which is there was a job fair held in Bridgehampton uh, just recently. T tell us about that. Actually, it's coming up. Oh, it's coming up. I'm sorry. I yeah, you can still go. <laughs> you can still go. Yeah. The Bridgehampton <laughs> Child Care and Recreational Center has this program called Teach Me How to Fish. And it is a career training program in which they are targeting um, folks who are in marginalized communities, low income folks, and they're training them for higher level jobs in the trades and in technology and wind farm technology. So they're they're targeting upward mobility and jobs that um, pay above the poverty line, right? So you've got this job fair on Tuesday. Georgica Green Ventures, which is building a workforce complex in East Hampton, came and they, they partnered with the Bridgehampton Center to offer this job fair where they're hiring, they have 15 open positions. All of them have pay rates between like 20 and $40 an hour. Um, they are full-time year-round jobs. And, you know, it might be like an entry level laborer or um, an electrician. They're looking for security guards and site supervisors and, you know, different things that different roles of, um, you know, within the trades. Um, HVAC, I think they're looking for an entry level HVAC laborer. Um, but you can good, sign good up. opportunity to learn. I mean, if you get a, even a, an entry level job and, and learn 
you know, learn one of those trades. I mean, that's just fantastic for your future. And you don't necessarily have to have an advanced degree. They're, they're requiring a high school diploma and English proficiency and permission to work in New York State. But, you know, you don't have to have, you know, 10 years of training under your belt for some of these jobs. You know what I mean? Like it, it is a really, really beautiful opportunity that they're having. And one of the guys who runs the um, Teach Me How to Fish program is a social worker. So he has the context. He brings that context of what the community needs are. And that's how they're addressing the needs. It's 6 p.m. on Tuesday at the Bridgehampton Center um, on the Bridge Tag Harbor Turnpike. And what they're doing is as an incentive to get people in and get people interested, they're offering gift cards. They're giving away like, I don't know if it's like a Visa gift card or some sort of debit Visa, debit gift card or whatever, but they're offering $50 gift cards to people who sign up and then come. As an incentive to actually show up, right? So, um, and they're ahead of time. They're saying people should do bring their resume and you know get ready for a one-on-one. It's there will literally be one-on-one interviews with the folks in the trades who are looking to hire fifteen people. Wow! This this kind of reminds me a little bit about the program in Hampton Bay's school district in the hospitality trades too, they're trying, you know, they're trying to offer students uh, different pathways forward uh, into careers that, that pay well, that, that might be outside of the, the typical college pathway forward. I think those are great programs. No question. We're just about out of time here, um, which is a shame because I feel like there's so much more we could be talking about, but uh, we'll leave some of it for next week, I guess. Uh, let's, let's thank our guests, uh, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Chrissy Sampson of the East Hampton Star. Thank you guys, as always. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Very much. And thank you to my co-host, Bill Sutton. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Joe. And we will be back next week with another edition of Behind the Headlines. We want to thank everybody out there for listening. Uh, We'll see you next week. Bye.